Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Behavioral Grooves is the podcast where we explore the applications of behavioral sciences by trying to answer the why we do what we do question. In this episode, we're continuing the series from the Nobeck Conference at the University of Pennsylvania with a conversation we recorded about a topic that Tim and I are particularly close to incentives. Oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah. And our guest, Yana Gallus, is an assistant professor of strategy and behavioral decision-making at UCLA's Anderson School of Business. Her research interests lie at the intersection of behavioral economics, strategy, and innovation. But our conversation focused almost exclusively on the way incentives work. This truly was a conversation that hit close to the heart with us because both Tim and I have worked in designing, communicating, measuring, and studying corporate incentives and recognition for more than 20 years each. That makes us sound so old. That's because we are old, Tim. But you know what that really means? What? That we are wise. 40 plus years of wise to be exact. Mm. But more important than how wise we are is how incentives and recognition are incredibly important to corporations today. And they are used by the most successful companies in the world. The research that Tim and I have done has been with field studies mostly that have demonstrated that incentives can improve the production of salespeople and that recognition can actually increase retention of really great employees. Yeah, Kurt's and my work in this area has also revealed some counterintuitive findings like how non-financial rewards can be more effective at engaging salespeople than cash rewards. Enough about us. Ah, come on. I love talking about us. Back to our discussion with Yana. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. This was a terrific conversation because Yana allowed us to dig deeper into a few aspects of incentives that are rarely covered, namely the three dimensions of rewards and the role that precision plays in recognition. So, for those of you who think you've got it all down when it comes to incentives and recognition, be prepared for some new insights. Yes. So sit back and relax with a pint of incentive schemes (laughs) and enjoy our conversation with Yana Gallus. Well, uh, so... uh so tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you like to research. What are the things that are topical for you? Yes, so I've um, focused most of my research on studying symbolic non-financial incentives. And with that, I mean specifically studying awards and the power of recognition when it works and when it might even backfire. And uh, I usually do so using field experiments, though, where I really randomly assign the treatment in the field to really find out Um, disentangle cause and effect and really estimate what the effects are of award schemes, um, different award schemes, and um, I sometimes also complement that with laboratory experiments to, you know, understand a little bit more why awards have the effects that they do have, what are the psychological mechanisms. Can you help our listeners understand what you mean when you say award schemes? Yes. So explain that. Yes. So, for instance, I mean, awards are a really intriguing topic because we observe them everywhere in the U.S. specifically. There is almost no institution without awards. And uh, even beyond the boundaries of single institutions, you, of course, have awards at the national level and state level and in all industries, across industries, across public, private and uh, voluntary sector, across countries and, uh, in fact, throughout history. We know the Légion d'honneur, for instance, right, which is a famous, famous case of a state 
state honors. And at the same time, the research on awards really started out perhaps 10 years ago only. And um, it's a challenging research because it's very diff difficult to find out whether the awards actually have an effect because usually we just observe that the best get awards and they stay the best. And so right. they could have even decreased their performance and still be better than the people you'd compare them to. So it's very difficult. And, and normally award-giving institutions are reluctant to allow you to randomly assign who gets the award and who doesn't. Believe me, I've tried convincing award-giving <laughs> bodies and it's very difficult because that's like the gold standard, right? And ideally, you'd want to randomly assign the treatment who gets a given type of award and who doesn't. And so that when afterwards you compare the different groups, the treatment group with the control group, that you are able to tell they didn't differ on any dimension except for that one group randomly happened to get the award and the other didn't. So if afterwards, after the treatment, you observe differences, and those are statistically significant, it has to be the award because there was no other dimension along which those. So if you're not getting companies to, to be able to randomize this, how are you teasing out this cause and effect? Or are you lucky enough to find a few that yes. are doing it? Okay. <laughs> now, now I am. But okay. I can tell you as a PhD student that was more difficult. So my first experiment was really um, with the community of Wikipedians. Okay. And uh, Wikipedia, you may know there are millions of people voluntarily contributing to Wikipedia, like writing those articles, but it goes way beyond that, discussing the content, improving on others' work, even establishing the rules behind that community. It's a fascinating community. And it's really, there's no money involved, right? People operate under pseudonyms. So you wouldn't even know that in this online community, my pseudonym is, let's say, economist123, right? Yeah. And so there's no offline ramifications from contributing. And at the same time, that community faces a challenge that many organizations face, which is attrition and newcomer retention of high potentials, for instance. And uh, so that was intriguing to me to observe, and I thought that this would be in a great and excellent, in fact, environment to study symbolic awards, because if I were, to, were able to hand out awards there and ideally randomize who gets the award and who doesn't, that would be a purely symbolic award, because it's just tied to a pseudonym online. Right. There cannot be any career benefits from this. There's no money attached to this. It's purely symbolic. And so then I was um, lucky enough that the community, in particular the Swiss-speaking community of Wikipedians, they saw promise in this idea because they were having this really pressing problem of newcomer retention. And so they were willing to collaborate on this. So I was collaborating with those um, really intriguing and great individuals going to round tables with Wikipedians, getting to know them more, becoming like an undercover economist. <laughs> and, uh, and then we, you know, setting up this award scheme, which, which was very much like a national honor scheme. It was actually even given from a national sub-body in Wikipedia. So it really sounded like a national award. And in fact, even the symbol, which I designed, like I, I draw, drew that, that award, it was called the Edelweiss Award. It was given from the Swiss um, national portal with senior com community members on board and then I would every month give that award to 150 newcomers whom I had randomly selected out of a, out of a pool of newcomers who would have all deserved an award. Okay. 
And so then I could, after more than 11 months, I compared the, the treatment and the control group, who again didn't differ on any dimension. The award was randomly assigned. And I found that the award, this purely symbolic recognition, in fact increased the retention rate by 20%. That's significant. Yes. And, and there's no money. No money there's whatsoever. No, there's, there's not even a plaque. or a, a, They only get a little digital bug uh, that you drew in around <laughs> Edelweiss. I would want to believe that it looked professional. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it's indeed, it was like a, a flower. And, and yeah. their pseudonym would be listed. I mean, I really modeled this award on national award schemes yeah. um, and so as that those were my examples and so um, there was an award um, um, web page in, you know, in, on Wikipedia one of the millions of pages on Wikipedia would be this Edelweiss award page and there their pseudonym would be listed but again yeah. not even my real name right it would be yeah. Some student nobody, you chose. Nobody in the world, unless I told them that I was Economist 123, would have any idea that it's me, but it's this component. Exactly. So what's the underlying... So so looking at that, have you looked at the, the why that is so impactful for mm. people? What is, what is it about the symbolic award that drives that uh, increased engagement, the increased retention component yeah, in there? Yes, so that is a really interesting question, yeah. um, which is... Um, difficult to it's, it is difficult to untangle in particular using such a field experiment where I could only have two groups a treatment and a control group but um, there is I do have some anecdotal evidence also from this Wikipedia experiment and then going beyond because that was as so often right you start out with a project are fascinated by that one question and then you get an answer to it but it opens up a host of different questions <laughs> all right? new sorts Ten of questions which is what good research is about right? yes it is, it is indeed it is, it is it is a great um, journey to be on yes. and uh, so yes so but with that data um, because the award recipients were able to in fact respond to the award on those Wikipedia pages some t I would actually even be able the data on Wikipedia is a is great because you can even see communication among editors, right? Which is unheard of in a corporate context where you'd really have to listen in on what people are talking about. And so in this context, I would see newcomers who got the award would go on and thank their mentor for helping them get this Edelweiss award because otherwise they would have never been able to achieve this. And one of them, I love that quote, said, you know, in that sense, a petal of the Edelweiss belongs to you because without you, oh, I would have sweet. never... Yeah, some people were really, uh, uh, I mean, emotions play a big role here, even yeah. though it's in a digital environment, but it is a real world environment, right? It is just digital, so yeah. it's a, like future of work. And uh, coming back to your question about the mechanisms behind this effect, there seems to be on the one hand, ink, but that's again something that we have to go and do more research on. On the one hand, what seems to be at play is an increased identification as a community member. Now I am an Edelweiss Award recipient, so you have this label, and I'm a part of this community. So it's so an inclusive thing, right? It, this yes, is a, it's yes, a, a, yes a, very much. Could we, I don't want, I'm going to use a term that might just be overused, but is there a certain amount of tribal identity that goes with this possibly? Yeah, so in, in, along the lines of an identity as being a um, Wikipedian, as they refer to themselves. A Wikipedian, Wikipedian. yes. Okay. So it, it, that sounds very tribal yeah. <laughs> identity-like, actually, but Wikipedian. Uh, and indeed, that seems to be, on the one hand, can be a mechanism, and another mechanism, 
mechanism is uh, potentially, and then I did a lab experiment to follow up on that with a co-author, um, um, would be increased confidence as well. And um, so in the Wikipedia case, I found that indeed even the trajectory of their work, yep. anecdotally, right, this is, um, seems to have shifted also, at least for some, where they had started out doing minor corrections, which is an important contribution to Wikipedia, right? I mean, checking and correcting mistakes that were done on previous, by other authors yeah. on articles, but then they would even go on to the next stage, as if you will, uh, which is to contribute an own article to Wikipedia, which is really challenging nowadays because almost everything already has an entry and there are people who feel to... Yeah, there, there are different reasons why it's become increasingly challenge, challenging right. to really get a foothold in the community and contributing an article. So is that confidence... It, and again, I know you probably don't have some of the data on this, but is it around self-efficacy, about their, their, their own beliefs of their, their self-efficacy, or is it just the fact of this confidence gets increased through because of that component? Do, do, have you even yeah. looked at that? So I do think, so here there are new, they are newcomers, right? And yeah. it's difficult to tell how valuable your contribution is to the community. Mm -hmm. And so now at this um, critical early stage where they don't yet have a lot of information about the value that they are also adding, they are getting this social recognition for their valuable contributions. And so that is potentially... Um, increases or, or amplifies their beliefs in their own ability to contribute and that what they've been doing is actually offensive. Have you, um, so th that's, that's a great example of a symbolic recognition, but you've also done some work comparing um, monetary rewards and non-monetary rewards, right? So yes, but that is always a difficult issue because mm -hmm. also already... And why? Why is it so difficult? Yes, um, so on the one hand, when you run experiments, right, um, and you start handing out randomly, assigning some to the monetary condition and others <laughs> to the non-monetary condition. It's trouble. It is, it is difficult and you want to prevent contamination, right, across conditions. So in this Wikipedia case, it was great because it was this online community and non-recipients were unaware of the award's existence. Now, if you start running experiments within non-virtual organizations in particular um, and start assigning monetary incentives to some, to some and, and, uh, and non-monetary to others that is highly challenging. You almost have to take it to the lab I mean, in order to prevent contamination. So I have not yet been able, I would be very interested in studying what happens when you either assign a non-monetary incentive or that's another really interesting question is um, the interaction, right, between the symbolic components and the pecuniary tangible components yes. of awards. I have a currently a, also a paper with uh, Sandy Campbell, who's now at UC Berkeley, a PhD student at Urignisi at UC San Diego, yeah. where we also look at those different dimensions behind the effects of awards. And we basically outline three main dimensions, which is the tangibility, the social signals, so mm -hmm. here I am receiving this award, I seem to be, you know, a pro-social person or a smart person, and the self-signal as well. Mm. Um, you know. Tell us about that. I, I, we've, I, I've seen work on uh, tangibility and the importance of, of, of that, um, what do they call it, um, 
trophy value uh, yes. is, is kind of a, a, a mm-hmm. lay term, right? And, the, and then the social side, of course, is, is, is big. But tell us about this, uh, this self-identity. Yes, aspect. so this is a very, so I do have an empirical project with Emma Heikenstein, who recently gra- graduated from the Stockholm School of Economics, okay. where we look exactly at this effect of awards on beliefs in my own ability. And um, I can give you a little bit more context here. It is um, from also the project with Uri and Sandy. Um, we see, we also survey a lot of the literature, and that self-signaling aspect has received fairly little, um, not yet as much attention right, as right. it as it should. Because also, of course, also it is very difficult to to see how these awards impact people's self-image. Mm-hmm. As opposed, you can imagine if you get an award as a genius early on in your career or yeah. as a math master, that should impact your identity as a person who, who's good at who excels at math or who's smart. And if you see, coming back to the trophy value, if you see that trophy standing on your desk, on top of your desk, one would imagine that this may have a more long-lasting impact than just getting a cash transfer onto your bank account, which I think many people might not even notice, exactly. right? Or, right. or remember. Or, or, or where they spent it, if oh, yeah. and when they did. Right? That yeah. would be immaterial. Yes, yes. So that part probably plays into some of the Wikipedia component then too that you were just talking about. Indeed, yes. Yeah. So that you exactly you perceive the work you're doing that you're doing as being important, but it may also even amplify but that's again something with a caveat that I can't um, now disentangle those mechanisms, exactly. right? But it seems plausible that that receiving this Edelweiss might instill this identity also of being a person, a Wikipedian who contributes to Wikipedia who's pro social and good at it. Yeah. So you spoke yesterday at the conference that we're at um, on uh, a whole different element about schemas and and means and the very difference of of uh, interpersonal incentives versus you know more market components incentives and I'm I'm messing that up very much here. So help uh, help our listeners understand a little bit about what the paper that you were talking about yesterday in in, in the in the presentation. And you're talking about the like the difference between the intimate relationships and the work relationships. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're, you're thinking sort of the, yeah, the what uh, Ariel and Heyman referred mm-hmm. to is sort of the the, the financial, the, the side, money market, the, the money market, the and then the the, the social market. market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, and they in fact also reference the work by uh, one of the co-authors on this project, who is an anthropologist, now at UCLA and has been at UCLA for a while, um, Alan Fisk, Professor mm-hmm. Alan Fisk, who has done. Um, work in um, the structures of social life is is his book that um, um, is about relational models theory. I'll go into that in a moment. And on this project is also a um, graduate student at UCLA Anderson, Joey Reef, and Emir Kamenica at UC uh, at uh, Chicago Booth. And uh, we are interested in studying how the social relationships influence or even govern the effects of incentives. Mm -hmm. And um, also how incentives influence social relationships. And uh, here it is important, the first point, and what I wanted to emphasize yesterday in this talk is that when we talk about incentives, what are incentives, right? Oftentimes, people will go immediately to this um, distinction between monetary incentives and this broad and somehow loosely defined category of non-monetary incentives. Me included, by the way, when I'm asked what I study, 
sometimes, in particular, when talking to economists, I would say I study non-financial incentives, mainly looking at recognition. And then, you know, <laughs> then you have to, it becomes a little more difficult. So we try to offer a taxonomy of incentives that we're also still working on, currently working on a theory conceptual paper. Um, where we, in the, when we talk about incentives, they're basically the means, which would be the substance, if you will, what, what the incentive is. Um, is it material? Is it a fungible currency, money, nowadays an Amazon gift card? Or is it immaterial, like the recognition that we were talking about at the extremes? There are, of course, many sub-dimensions here. And then, besides those means, which have received a fair bit of attention, um, are the schemes, which are, as we argue, at least as important as the means in determining what the effects are of those incentives. And schemes, you can think about whether the incentive is pre-specified, you announce it ex ante, and whether it's might precise exactly what you will get if you do X. If you do X, you yeah, will get it's, it's the y. rule. Exactly. Yeah. Or the whether rules. it's whether it's actually ex post um, an ex post reward that somebody is given after the fact. Discretionary, uh, sorry, discretionary incentive also, mm -hmm. right? And um, and then there are other schemes that because this is audio right now, I won't go into detail too much. Well, you you could we, draw it for us. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> our map. listeners would be at loss, but we'd be having well, fun. Well, maybe this is an incentive to then look up the paper. <laughs> very much so. They should definitely look up the paper. You've raised some curiosity. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> but, uh, so the, the next point, besides establishing these schemes and means, so meaning the structure of incentives being the schemes and the means being what the, the substance of the incentive, um, we then connect that to Alan's work of relational models theory where you have, there's extensive ethnological and experimental research that suggests that across all do, almost all domains of life, people use just four relational models or four modes to coordinate. And those are on the one hand communal sharing, where people would form and build friendships um, to create unity. Then there is um, the, the stock, if you will, contrast would be market pricing, where people exchange goods on a market to achieve proportionality. That is the motive. And then there are two others, um, which are equality matching. So you can think of siblings, for instance, or in some respects, perhaps co-founders, where it's really about achieving equality. Mm -hmm. that everybody gets the same, it's tit for tat also. And then the fourth is authority ranking, where people create ranks and hierarchy for this, yeah, to um, achieve this motive of hierarchy, having a leader and followers. You see it, of course, prominently in the military. And now we connect this to incentives and uh, see how there are congruencies mm -hmm. where uh, given schemes and means are highly congruent with one relational model in particular or another. Um, and that is when we would expect there to be the intended positive effects on effort and performance on the one hand, but also on perhaps reinforcing that relationship. Um, and then when it's an interesting aspect that arises when there are incongruencies. So when somebody, for instance, is in a communal sharing relationship, 
and then starts offering incentives, schemes and means, but also really importantly, not just money, but in fact using those schemes, pre-specifying it, being precise about it, um, and then we would expect that the incentives backfire, as you sometimes call it, they have unintended effects, and or shift the relational model from communal sharing to market pricing. And so just a simple thought experiment would be, and also to make that point that it's not just about money is that, you know, I go to campus and I offer to pay workers $1 per stuffed envelope. Totally fine. Market See, pricing. That seems completely reasonable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's, it's actually very, very generous. A dollar yes, per so stuffed envelope. <laughs> so, you know, yes, indeed. So, I would be going for that. <laughs> there you go. Or even 10 cents, right? Yeah, exactly. It would, be, it would be expected. And here it's also about beliefs, right? It's, it's expected. It's a market pricing transaction. Perfectly fine. That's the relationship that you have with those people, indeed. right? It is expected that Indeed. Way. Now, I return home to my home and I offer my husband one dollar per stuffed envelope to let's say send out my my birthday cards right yeah. and that would be unthinkable that and would people, be crazy indeed <laughs> yeah. so and even if i offered him two dollars it would still be <laughs> crazy I, so that may be even crazier yes that's true <laughs> yes. so because it makes it seem more precise that's another scheme by the way so yes yeah, so there and then when asked the question why that is and the previously, the focus has been on, well, because you cannot use money in intimate relationships. Yeah. But then taking it a step further, it would also be perceived as inappropriate or even provoke outrage on the um, part of my husband or observers if I returned home and told my husband, well, if you stuff those envelopes, you will get one piece of candy. Right? Right. So even that, or, or a kiss right. in a serious manner. Right. Offering him one kiss per stuffed envelope is yeah. also not... Well, that's lovely, but it's a little weird. It is very, right? And, yes. and the point being, here it seems it's not about the money, so I'm using the right means, which is a kiss in an intimate relationship, but I use the wrong scheme because I make it, um, I pre-specify I pre it, I tell him it'll be one kiss per envelope, precisely, right. or perhaps <laughs> two, right? Um, this is just a thought experiment. It's a thought experiment, right, that's yes. right. Um, I, I you do also did like you the test humorous... This? Did, did you, you didn't test this at home, did you? Of course. <laughs> uh, sample size is an issue here. <laughs> and, and a one, that's all right. That's there you go. <laughs> So, yes, but the point being, again, it's not just about the means. You see that I'm using the right means. I'm using, let's say, a candy or a kiss in an intimate relationship, but I'm using the wrong scheme because I pre-announce it. That's the first, pre-specify it. I make it very precise. I say it'll be one kiss per envelope. And then there are others, actually. I'm using a piece rate, an individual piece rate, yeah. which, and not perhaps a fixed wage. So those are other schemes that we also have in our, but which we are still refining. That's like a major contribution. So it's really an important issue. So again, to, to, to build upon that, right, in a, a matching scheme that would be congruent, it would be, honey, can you help me with this? He does. He, he stuffs the envelopes. And because you haven't precisely said afterwards, but you gave him a kiss because it was a thank you in the end, that is a, a fits the scheme well and works and it's, it's, a, it's a thing. Yes. But you also talked about the timing of some of this, mm -hmm, right? And mm -hmm. so there's a component of the timing that goes into That's this. Talk right. a little bit about that. So this is also tying into this second dimension that we have, which is the precision scheme, yeah. right? So if I were to do something and immediately I receive 
a favor in return or, or a means in return, right? If immediately I get sometimes even the thanks, right? Yeah. After specific interactions you may have with a romantic partner, if you immediately receive a thanks, that's kind of, or <laughs> thanks a little weird. Piece. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird. So, so it's exactly this precision is not only in terms of the value saying it'll be $1 per envelope or one kiss per envelope, one candy per envelope, but also that I immediate that I'm very precise as to when that will happen, or if if the the partner in this interaction is doing something and I immediately reciprocate loosely defined, um, then that may also be perceived as weird as wanting as transactional, right? Wanting because to because then because I gave you I gave Tim. Uh, a let's, gift. Let's, a let's be careful. You, let's a, be careful here. I gave you a, <laughs> not a kiss. I okay. gave you a gift for a thank you for doing yeah. something, and then immediately he gives me a gift back, and it's like now becomes wait. I was just thanking you, but now it becomes like okay, I give you a gift. You have to give me a gift, and right. there's that that transact. It becomes less of that relationship and more of a transactional component. That's and then you're going, oh, his gift was $5. I only gave him two. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, now I feel bad. Now I have to give him you know, another gift in order. And now mm -hmm. it becomes a, a very inter or strange kind of element. Yeah, forward. it is. So that was also this example, which I'm sure many have encountered nowadays, where, well, you send somebody a gift card, I won't go into the specifics now, right? But immediately you get a gift card back and even if the <laughs> value was higher, there's yeah. also some, some really interesting research by uh, Kim et al. 2018 was already published where they look at Venmo transactions, right? Oh. Um, and, and so that, that's exactly because those transactions for, almost enforce a specific a, a Precise. Give a degree of of precision. So sometimes, even if the value is higher, it's perceived as it, it antagonizes, may antagonize people. So. Yeah, I had a conversation with uh, Ron Kivitz at Columbia, mm -hmm. and uh, he does a lot of work in incentives. And he had been been uh, editing and making um, edit editing kind of notes on papers, on peer reviewed papers. Uh, for several years for a particular journal and he oftentimes got a thank you note handwritten thank you note and then one time the uh, the editor of the of the of the magazine sent him a, a five dollar gift card to Starbucks and he he said I instantly I picked up I went to my computer and I wrote up the note saying I, I refuse to do any more work oh he was he was he was so insulted by this mm. by this terribly small mm. um, you know, non-monetary award to some degree, uh, that he just said, no, it, it totally changed the relationship. Yeah, gift cards are interesting. It's again, this, um, those means also, I mean, that, that said though, there are these instances where, which is again, this point about schemes and means, right? Um, that sometimes the schemes may be even more important than the means, the, na the nature or substance of the incentive, because we do observe these contexts where people, even in intimate relationships, use money as a way of signaling their affection also, right? And to convey affection, let me use convey that term, not signaling. Um, so there, there's great research by Viviana Zielizer, probably I'm mispronouncing her name, at Princeton, who, um, um, has looked at these instances where money becomes almost a totally different currency, right? Where it is used to express affection. And we see these instances um, where for weddings in different cultures, for yep. childbirths, 
people do give money, but it doesn't backfire. And so this, there's it, this. It's the social norm, right? In, in, yeah, in some cases. Yeah, so that's the next question, the social norm. What is a social norm exactly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something we've, we're also discussing. Um, and But it's also to some extent the scheme, how they are used, right? And so they oftentimes are then given ex post Discretion, mm -hmm. in an ex post discretionary manner, which would be our first scheme, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, for instance, your son graduated and you give him a, um, or your daughter, a, a monetary gift, quote unquote, because gift already implies the scheme has a, actually a gift. What mm -hmm. makes a gift a gift is the question yeah, that, that I raised is, yesterday. That is too. a great question. Yeah. And, and that's, that is one component, one answer to that is this ex post nature. The other one is that we do make it deliberately imprecise, even when we could be precise and could say, well, I saw you spend X hours studying. I give you now exposed X, <laughs> like a piece rate per hour. Yeah. But you, we, $10 an hour for it, all of those hours. So here's your... Here's two your, bottles of wine because you completed this, this much effort. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so that we don't do. And in fact, even before we show up at the party at the, let's say, um, what are they called? Shower, baby showers. Mm -hmm. uh, even before I show up, I would stuff, put the money into an envelope. So it's clear I did not put as much money into it as I drank um, orange <laughs> juice, right? So it's, and it, it's this uncoupling in a way. Um, and then oftentimes those envelopes would be in terms of time-wise uncoupling, right? They are opened only after the party is over, right? right? You don't you open the, the envelope value. with the cash in it while people are there and count the cash. That exactly. Is, that's, that's or you don't put off. the cash into the envelope yeah. while the, the other is walking. Yeah. Right, so, so there's... Yeah, I had four, four glasses of orange juice and right. I had two pieces of cake. <laughs> that's worth $15. There you go. <laughs> your, here's your gift. Yeah, so we, we, we deliberately um, do it in a, in a vague fashion that but the point is that we can use and we often do use money without it backfiring and understanding why that is and which schemes we are applying when we do that even in communal sharing relationships right? but, but again it, it, it forms to what Tim was saying and some of the social norms on that because again if I go to my mother-in-law's house for Thanksgiving dinner and if I brought, you know, mm -hmm. uh, she serves this wonderful dinner and I have an envelope at the end that was pre-done, right? And it has $50 in it. That is still not yeah. going to be a yeah. good way it of... It will not be well will received. It will not be well received, Indeed. right? Yeah. It will not be well received. And so, but the same thing, as you said, a baby shower or uh, a, a nephew's graduation mm -hmm. or one of those components, it's perfectly acceptable. Mm -hmm. uh, now... If I may follow up on this, it's, a, it's something we've been discussing at oh. length. Um, it, one interesting question is why that is, right? I mean, so it is possible, right, that um, this is because of um, the, let's say, the affordances of money. I don't want to now venture into another discussion, which is basically money forces a given degree of precision. Right? You can't say... I use this amount, but it's not. It's very difficult to use money in an imprecise manner. Yes. And at the same time, historically, also money has been associated with market pricing transactions. That's yes. why it was yeah. even invented, right? To be a fungible currency. And so this question of why it is that it can be difficult to use that means, monetary means, in these communal sharing transactions is one, an interesting one that we also 
um, intrigued by. Yeah, it, yeah that is. Because again, you think about that Thanksgiving dinner, I bring over a, a really nice bottle of wine, and that is perfectly acceptable, right? Even if we don't drink that wine at, at Thanksgiving dinner, that is much more acceptable than, than mm -hmm. the, the... Than the $6 that you would have spent on the, the bottle? Well, <laughs> <laughs> and though, to come also back to the schemes, if you told the person who's inviting you, oh, if you invite me, I will give you a oh. bottle of wine. You see, it's not it's just the means, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so yeah. it comes back to that, 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 yeah, that, so the, the prescription both, yeah. saying, if you do this, I will give you X and the, I think it would have also be very different if I said, hey, this is a $47 bottle <laughs> yeah. of wine. Yeah. You know, I spent a lot on this. Very for, different. As opposed to, here's a, here's a nice bottle of mm -hmm. wine. So, Yana, what do you think about uh, corporate cultures in, in the corporate world, we have both a, a financial world, we have a, a market transaction, we're being paid a paycheck to get to work every day and do certain things. And there's also a, a, a social, a, mm -hmm. not intimate, but certainly a non-monetary world uh, of favors and relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, can, can those coexist in a way that uh, that the that the social side could be? I'm going to use the word exploited. I don't mean it in a negative way, mm -hmm. but could that be exploited to to use non-monetary rewards and means to say uh, thank you for yeah. doing a good yeah. job on this or yeah. spending the weekend working on this project? You you went above and beyond, yeah. uh, and and keep that out of the monetary world in a successful way? Yes, yeah, so this is exactly coming to the, my um, previous research on recognition and interest in long-standing interest in, yeah. in social recognition, which is exactly that in corporate contexts that people, and it's also how those two projects, the schemes and means and the previous work on recognition um, come together, that there is some relational, there are relational motives and motivations why we come to work, right? We like to work with peers and also be um, seen, be, receive their recognition, social recognition from from those peers who can judge our work, right? Who, who may be experts in their field and so perhaps getting to hear from them that what I've been doing is something they consider to be of great value can be a very, a very important signal to me as well. And I think do, you do observe definitely in so many corporate contexts that they are using recognition schemes, different recognition schemes, and there are so many different dimensions when we talk about recognition and awards, right? Yes. It's much more complex than just looking at in some regards than just at a monetary sum, right? And, but there again, there are different schemes of using those, but with recognition, you have um, recognition that it depends on the audience, who's in the audience, um, right? Who sees that I get the, this award? It depends on how scarce the recognition is being kept. It depends on who gives the recognition. And this is in fact something that this paper with Sandy Campbell and Ulrich Nisi that I was mentioning earlier, where we are really looking at this systematically. Um, another component here is the selection process. Yes. Was, was I being nominated by peers? Was it based on a self-nomination? Where was there no nomination and just some committee? And what about the status of the giver and that committee? That also influences, again, the, the value of the award. So, so there are many different dimensions. You do see that c companies use one or the other, but I would very much like to see, and that's what I'm doing with, co co with companies, many different companies, in fact, 
um, for instance, also with NASA, a field experiment where we are trying to disentangle the effects of these different forms of providing recognition because they can have different effects, of course, depending on, for instance, who is the audience. Yes. But we need to find out more um, how that, how those different types of, in, of of recognition schemes impact behavior. I do think that many companies still, in particular, companies still. Um, like to tie some tangible components to awards um, in the belief that there has to be some material, quote unquote, um, value to these awards. So it either has to be a check that comes with the award or, or some, some uh, gift card, gift card indeed, yeah. some, some expensive gift. But you know, if it's well designed, at least that, which is in a very different context, but this Wikipedia experiment already, and there are other, great um, experiments also that would suggest that even purely symbolic uh, recognition can have its effects. But when you look at in the field, it's you don't find formalized recognition schemes that are, you know, on a regular basis institutionalized that are symbolic. Usually the symbolic recognition happens in a more informal context where peers would spontaneously say, it, you did a great job. It's very job. interesting because I've done some work with um, field salespeople, and mm -hmm. and they have uh, again to this component that market pricing kind of uh, element, but they won this top recognition. And and the thing that we found in our interviews with them is yes, they love the trip that they won and all of that. But the real thing was on their business cards and on they got a special name badge that said that had that symbolic <laughs> component on it that they when they were interacting with customers it said that you were part of this president's club. Kind of so, kind of like the Edelweiss. Yeah, it was right, it, exactly. Right? That's exactly yeah. what it was, and that for them was this really meaningful component. Yes, they liked the they liked the element of having the the tangible component with it, mm -hmm. but really. That was this element of saying, "Hey, I am, I am a, whatever the the name of the award was. I am that winner for this year," and, and that drove a lot of the the conversations that we had in the, mm, the assessment of it. So interesting, and presumably, even if that name tag did not have any implications for their next sales deals, exactly. they would still appreciate. Yeah, it, it's, that the, it's the element of, of I'm working with Tim, who's a peer of mine, mm -hmm. and I have it, and he, you know, it's this, uh, mm -hmm. it, you, going back to some of the pieces that you talked about, about that social and, and the self, and probably mm -hmm. elements mm -hmm. of that that I could see playing out in, within that. So. There is a wonderful quote by Adam Smith, who also said, you know, humans want to be praised and praiseworthy. So yes. that's another component, whether you think, yes. it's something I still want to investigate, that you... There's some research um, whether you were praiseworthy, right? Yeah. And how how does that shape the effects of an award? Um, and how do those self and social signals again interact? We we need like another five hours with you. I would just love this. But uh, one of the things that we always talk about with behavioral grooves is music. We always like to, to talk about things that are uh, in your life musically, uh, the kind of instruments that you play, the number of concerts that you've given in the last year or so. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh, that, I oh, was a little was, busy oh, was, last year. Was, but I was, <laughs> I was just dreaming about that. But why, maybe what's on your playlist it might be something. And we know that you have, you have children. Yes, I do. And, <laughs> and, and so I'm kind of curious about 
how has your have your playlist changed with the <laughs> with having you know triplets around? This is, I seem to be <laughs> creating problems for the the algorithms at Spotify. <laughs> they're like, wait a second. So we observe that you sometimes listen to classical music, but then randomly, all of a sudden, you turn on children's music and baby so, shark, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and baby Mozart or whatever. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had uh, triplets, in fact, last year. Mm-hmm. And we had triplets, um, <laughs> um, two boys and a girl. Um, the girl is Ada, Nico and Kian are the two boys. And uh, I like to joke that was my year in the tales because of all those unlikely events happening. <laughs> Some others, which that would easily lead into the next five-day conversation. <laughs> so I will, I will restrict myself. The, uh, so that said, I will take that as an excuse for not having done, for not having given any concerts lately. <laughs> um, we'll accept it. I, in, in, with the exception of in front of my children, of course, and we like to dance and sing in front of our children, so that's a nice way of, of starting the dinner. <laughs> we are on a very regimented schedule to increase efficiency. <laughs> and uh, yes, so I did play the piano, Okay. but I'm very poor at it, I would say, compared to others, and so... I hope that at some point I get back to it. I don't have a piano currently at home, so I don't practice. Mm. Um, my playlist is an eclectic assemblage of different songs that... Uh, well, okay, so you're a pianist, uh, and you mentioned classical music. Are there any particular uh, classical performers or composers that you, that you love, that you love to listen to? Yeah, no underdogs, I'm afraid, that I could now make your listeners curious about. I had, <laughs> I had my Lang Lang um, period where I would listen to Lang Lang over yeah, and over yeah, again, yeah. but uh, it really, it, it varies greatly. <laughs> okay. Do okay. you listen to, to music when you work or do you need silence? I do like to listen to classical music while I work, okay. yes. So... It's an interesting component. We've asked many of our, our, our guests that, and Tim and I have different views on this. So well, and, it's and very... there's, there's some science, there's some neuroscience that has in, you know, indicated there are, some, there are some music, there's some context where music is more beneficial than others. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, you, so how, tell, tell us more about the kind of classical music that you listen to when you're working. Is, well, it, I have not analyzed it. It's a, it's a more soothing, and sometimes I will admit I just rely on Spotify playlists. Of course. <laughs> so this is now we again advertisement. We all rely so, on Spotify playlists. Um, there is, uh, talking about music, one band that I... It's now, yeah, mostly 2014, 15, but I still very much like them, which is Milky Chance. Oh, yeah. That uh, is a German band. I did not know uh, they were yes, a German band. Yes, so, yeah, and I'm originally from Germany. That has nothing really to do, but I very quite, quite <laughs> like their music, Stolen Dance, yeah. for instance, and so... Um, yeah. that, that's great. That, well... Yana, thank you so much. This <laughs> yes, has been, as, as Tim said, we could go on for five more hours on yes. this, um, but we'll come back at some other point, uh, you know, in, in a year or two, we'll come back and we'll have <laughs> another we'll we'll touch. We will that was a pleasure. But thank yes. you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned in our interview, have a free-flowing discussion, and whatever else comes into our highly incented brains. Yeah, incented, not incentivized. Not incentivized I, because... Oh, I don't like that word. Why? I don't know. It's like, oh, it just drives me. It's like, it's just, 
Incented. You you provide an incentive. You you were incented, it, it, not incentivized. It's but a, it's a made up word. I hate it. All of it's made up, right? <laughs> All of the words are made up. But at, at some point, that's true, isn't it? At some point, somebody just made up the damn word. Everybody makes up different damn words. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and okay. English is such a strange language, too. I was just thinking damn word, and I'm going, well, damn is actually a physical object that holds back water, and now it's, but it's also a, a used as a swear word in some instances. Yeah, I think it comes pieces. from damnation, which was a and biblical you're damned term. damned into hell and all of those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, you have all the different... Con- <laughs> Where the hell are we going I don't going know. We were rabbit-holed already. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to Yana. Oh, get back to Yana and get back yeah. to Incented. Yeah. <laughs> about- it was a great conversation, right? Yeah. So it, it Oh, it was. So, it was a really good so conversation. So great to talk to her about how, uh, how, how the research on Incented continues to grow. Well, so I'm looking at the the people that we've interviewed, and obviously this is an area of expertise for both of us. And I'm looking and I go, well, we, we talked with Scott Jeffrey, who's done, you know, fabulous work, fabulous work on yeah. this. And all the other people, there's been tangential pieces of this, but not people who have actually really studied this. So this is like in our wheelhouse that we just love. So yes. Yeah, truly. <laughs> great. Uh, all right. All right. So what did you find really fascinating? Schemes and means. Schemes and means. Yeah. So what what really struck me is uh, something that you and I have encountered so often with clients is that they oftentimes, when we start talking about incentives, they're just thinking of the reward. They're just thinking of the thing. The, the meme. The mean. You know, that history. thing that goes out on Facebook. No, that, no, not that, meme. No. <laughs> mean. M-E-A-N. Oh. Mean. The means. <laughs> the ways and means. The ways and means. Yeah. Okay, that meme. All right. <laughs> so no. And but but it's so easy just to focus our attention on the thing, yes. on the reward. And to say, well, if we're gonna do an incentive. Uh, we're going to have a contest or whatever kind of terminology. It, we're just going to focus on that thing. When when Yana is really good about saying, no, you got to have a scheme. Like this is two parts to the same coin, right? There's there's two sides to the same coin. There's the means, the reward itself, and how you earn it. The rules, the scheme. Right. right? This is so critical that that I think the this it's, it's a big takeaway for me. Well, and it goes back to and I was remiss. I said we talked with Scott Jeffries about this, but we also talked with Paul Hebert, who yeah, you know, we did. We, we talked about this, and, and I go back too. to that. And we talked about one of the big fails of incentives is focusing just on that one big reward or those aspects, which is exactly what you're just saying here is that, you know what, we, we tend to, organizations often go down the rabbit hole of saying, we got this great trip and so it will just be motivating for everybody. When you actually look at this and you go, yeah, but the rules to get there or to achieve it are just crap. Yeah. Or they're not understandable or they don't align with what that reward is. And so you need to have both the scheme and the mean in order for it to be a really, truly effective incentive. And you brought up understandable. I think this is a really critical part that uh, clients miss out on as well. The when they're designing, when the sales VP is designing his or her own incentive program, forgets about really how it's going to be understood. Yeah. Right. Communication is a big part of it. Well, communication is a really huge part of it because often these are put together by 
uh, analysts and, and statisticians and who are doing the math behind everything, which, which is, is great. You need that. You yes. need to be, make sure that you're not breaking the bank when you're designing these. And all of a sudden you're paying out millions and millions of dollars when you have a budget of a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right? That's right. So those are important. However, the way that their minds process things is different than off Often it's different than how salespeople process things. <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes. Often. <laughs> yes. and, and so when they put out this, and I, I will use this example all the time, I remember talking with one uh, person who was designing this, this incentive plan, and he's like, Super excited about how it how well it's it's designed, and he's going, Kurt, look at this. See if they do this, and then it like they splits up into point A, point B, or point C, depending upon how they perform in here. And then oh within God. point A, it goes to this to two different facets, and this you know, and it was a it was a very logical follow from point A to point uh, you know H. It was like <laughs> oh, eight different man. pieces in it oh. and had different branches, and I just sat there and I go. It's very logical to you. The salesperson who is going to receive this is after that first branch, they're, they're going to get to point B and they're, they're going to go, so how the <laughs> hell do I earn on this? Right. And, and it's right. not going to be motivating to them. And so, you know, part of the work that we do um, is helping companies, A, look at those schemes and say, yes. let's make sure that the schemes makes sense from both the business side, which is the part that they're doing, yeah. but also from the salesperson or the employee side to really say, is this something that I can wrap my hands around, grab a hold of and really run with and understand it to the point where I know what I need to do in order to maximize that. And then also from the communication piece of this, how do you communicate that so that people get excited about it, that they understand it and that they buy into that I can actually achieve it. So. Yeah, that communication's a big deal. All right. Did oh. I just run rampant on craziness that, No, there? it's so important. It's so important, I think. Uh, and we just didn't get a chance to talk about that with Yana. Right. So, so communication is a key piece. It really of, is a key piece of, of, of incentives. Um, the, the second thing that really struck me, if, I, if I, I'm just on a roll here, go, because I really go. love this conversation. The second thing was uh, adding to the body of research in in and around incentives with this addition of the self as being and the self identity as being an important part of what makes a reward successful. Right. Well, she talked about the three dimensions, tangibility, social, and then that self and aspect. Self, right. And and Scott Jeffries had talked about in his research earlier about what was it, the four pieces, sociability, justifiability, separability. Yeah, and, 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 and then an emotional component. That emotional component, yeah. which is all a key piece solid, of this. Solid, right? solid stuff, When you yes. think about it, it has to be justified. Incentives work when they're justifiable. Like you can go, Oh, I, I'm, I would have never spent my own money on this. This is a great reward. Right. And it's uh, sociable. I'll talk to my friends about it and family. Yeah. And where I'll share it, it yeah. and, and separate that it's that it, from a mental accounting perspective, it's not in, it's not cash. It's not going to be part of my, it's paycheck. not in my, it's not in my paying my bills, uh, thing. It Category, is something yeah. that is going to be, uh, uh, you know, hedonic and, and a luxury for me, something that brings me joy and yeah. satisfaction, right? And then they, which, which gets that to the emotional side of that hedonic. I want it, you right? Know, like I want it, not just oh, that's nice. So that's that's been in the research for a number of years, and it's kind of pointed out, and it helps in people when you think about how you're designing these programs. But the key piece that Yana was bringing up is this: it 
that incentives work best when it when they reinforce our identity. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, you yeah. think about that, and I'm like, going, wow. It is. <laughs> it is a pow, and and I, I, it's a lens that I don't. I don't think anybody who is designing incentives is doing this consciously. They might be doing it subconsciously, but I don't think anyone is saying, how is this reward going to reinforce an identity? And I've seen it, right? I've, I, you, I'm sure you and I, you've seen it as well. I have. But I remember a reward where a sales VP was like, had just gotten his uh, motorcycle license. And so he wanted to make sure that a motorcycle was the top prize. We've, we've ta- talked about this. We've yes. talked about this before. And then it's a soccer mom from Dallas that wins. And she's like, my brother died on a motorcycle. Yeah. It, it's like the antithesis of her of her self-identity. So how is that going to work as a reward? It's impossible. But I think that the self-identity aspect gets into some of these rewards. And again, it goes less less about the the dollar amount that is associated with these awards and recognition, but more about what they mean. So uh, that element of saying you are, you know, in, in all the Wikipedia stuff where Hey, first off, it's anonymous. It doesn't really right. play into any of that. And yet, no one's going to know. You know, you get this award that says you are the best of the best. And so all of a sudden, it, it builds up that self identity that I am contributing. I'm a contributor and that I am, uh, I am in the top tier of who these Wikipedians are. So that reinforces because I'm already doing this you know, on my own time and my own basis. And to get an award for doing it just reinforces that. So how do we take that element of self-identity and really reinforce those key aspects that, again, align with the organization? Absolutely. Absolutely. It needs to, it, it needs to align with the organization. There's, there's no reason why it shouldn't. But it also needs to get to the self-identity of the people you're targeting as winners. I think if we can take that one piece out of this conversation this huge. Uh, and, and apply it into the work, I, I know for me now, the work that I will be doing with my clients around, you know, designing their incentives and understanding their incentives is going to have this lens of saying, what's the self-identity component yes. that we have here? Yeah. I said component. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> it is my New Year's resolution that I will be bringing less components into the conversation here. It's but it's not New Year's yet, so don't worry about it. You got a free. <laughs> but when people listen to this, it will be. It will be right around that New Year's time frame. So okay, what else did you want to talk about with this uh, with, with this particular discussion with Yana, other than components? Uh, what other component do I want to talk about? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, social relationships and its its draw into. Uh, Incentives and particularly financial, and we've gone down this rabbit yeah. hole before. That it's really difficult to, when you're in a social relationship, to bring a financial component in. But she brought up some areas where it actually is okay, which right, is right, it, which is a, a, a good twist on this. Because again, we go back to Tale of Two Markets with uh, Dan Ariely and James Heyman, right? Yep. And the fact of yep. oh, you help me change this tire, and I offer you a reward for it. Uh, if it's candy, it's fine. But if it's a fifty cent piece of candy, then it gets into that monetary piece, and people feel weird about it and various different right. things. Or going up to your your mother in law for Thanksgiving dinner, and <laughs> you bring a bottle of wine as a thank you, or say, you know what, that's a great meal. Here's. 
thirty bucks. You yeah. know, they're two very different. Or, or, or to add even more precision to it, to use Yana's words, so how much do I owe you for Thanksgiving dinner this year? Is it thirty, thirty-five dollars? <laughs> what, let, you know, can we settle up at the end of the meal? Right. Are you crazy? Yeah. Oh man, you'd just be so out of the family at that point, uh, which which some people might like. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, folks. For those you don't want to go back to the Thanksgiving dinner next year, yeah, um, bring a well, checkbook. Bring a checkbook. But the the aspect of the amount of precision, and we were talking before uh, going on air here, that there's this Goldilocks yes, area, yes, right? Yeah. So if you're giving a a, a reward, a uh, recognition of some sort, right? And you are saying, here's 20 points or 20 bucks or whatever that would be. Uh, and people don't understand what it's for. That's not good. Right. But what Yana is, is saying with the research that she's showing is that here's $23 because you work 23 extra hours over the weekend. Right. Right. That's that's not cool. That's not good either. No. You need to have a happy. You need to be in that Goldilocks zone. Where enough it specificity. Is enough specificity. You know what? That you, I feel like you did all this great extra work this weekend. Yeah. Here's twenty points as as recognition. Thank you for that. Yeah. Right. And and you don't get down into uh, oh well now my per hour work on that was worth the fifty two cents or whatever it would be. No, you don't want right. to get to that specificity. You want to make sure that it's 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 specific enough that they understand. Here's what the the behavior was, but not specific enough to to get it down to those levels. Right. Could we talk a little bit about that uh, when she was talking about the NASA uh, research with uh, managerial recognition and how it acts as a signaling function? Oh, that I thought was just fascinating. Um, it, primarily because uh, in in terms of the managerial recognition recognition acting as a signal. To, to for legitimacy around the platform, basically. Yes, that I thought was so cool because um, in my last company, uh, we did some research on a client who was looking at how 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 can they retain their best employees, and they found a, a very high correlation between managers who are effective at using recognition and their retention rates. Well, and 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 Yana in, in that research paper, they talk about. Uh, that that recognition from a manager interacts with a worker's proximity to the mission. So yeah. in, in other words, that by giving that recognition, you the, the worker, the employee is feeling a tighter connection to the overall mission. Right. And so which, which it, means I'm going to be more connected with the company, what the company does. I'm more likely to be connected to my team. And when I have those social relationships, I'm much more likely to stay with the company because those I care about those people it, and what the company does. You think about the four drive model, and it really ties right into that bond component, but also into the defend, the define and defend aspect, yeah. which is about how do I feel my purpose fits in with the organization's purpose. And the closer that I feel proximity towards the mission, the more that that ties in. And that's a harder one to fulfill, isn't it? It is. It's one of the hardest ones to to design to fulfill, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it gets fulfilled in a number of different ways, but designing interactions to fulfill that from a strategic perspective is always one of the more challenging aspects. And so this brings some really interesting thoughts around that for me is like, how do we get 
ensure that managers are recognizing appropriately and yes. recognizing to to bring legitimacy around that mission and into the individual's work. So yeah, uh, Yana also talked about how her listening, musical listening, has changed quite a bit. Uh, this is a, a a really simple little segue into the music discussion. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was wondering, you know, uh, when your kids were little, how much did your musical listening change? Oh, really interesting. Um, or did it at all? Were you still like pumping the cure at the kids when they were? Uh, well, a year I did a old? lot of that. I did a lot of that. I, I, I do have to say, I, I one of my favorite memories is is jamming to really loud AFI. Uh, which is a progressive kind of almost heavier metal band. They have some softer sounds. Um, Not a lot. <laughs> They're they pretty do. intense. They, they do, but but jamming that up in the up in my bedroom and my my daughter dancing to AFI in the bedroom, and it was it was wow. fantastic when she was three or four years old. But we did listen to. Uh, uh, There's a compilation locally, and I'm gonna draw mess up on the name of it but it was a bunch of uh like uh go tell it on the mountain um folk you know, song oh, Susanna of, kind yeah. of songs that were done by Matt Wilson and Dan Wilson you know members of local Minneapolis bands uh so it had this nice little a local flavor, but they also modernize some of these musical songs. I'll have to, we'll get it and we'll put it in the show notes. This is Tim with a post-production note. Unfortunately, we were unable to find the album that Kurt was referencing. And as soon as we do find it, we will make sure that everyone in our listenership is aware of it. Sorry about that. So you did some modification in, of your listening and, and what was available in the house at, at when the kids were little. Yeah. Yeah. But not entirely, it sounds like. Not entirely. How okay. about you when your kids were little? Yeah. I, I made heavy edits to what I listened to. I went into Raffi mode and all that kind of crap. Uh, I'm sorry. Really? Yeah, I know. Right? Really heavily because I just wanted to be age appropriate for the kids. And they didn't get to hear the kinds of music that I listened to until until they were, you know, six, seven years old and they were old enough to maybe be a part of a social situation where I was playing music at home and they would hear me play songs. Okay. And Why? Why? I don't know. I had this bent idea <laughs> that I sh that I, that the kids should really just listen to things that are developed for kids. Hmm. Yeah. I'm so I, I have an interesting, I, I, I learned this from my sister, my sister who raised three super successful uh, women who are now just doing amazing things. But I remember one time when she said, you know, we, we never censored any of the books that you read. We, they, they were highly controlling parents, right? They, they, okay. like, they had certain rules that they had to follow, but there are two things. We never censored any of the books that you read, whatever book you wanted, you could read and whatever music you wanted to listen to, you could listen to. Wow. And so I have actually gone into and taking that as a, modality for how we work with our kids. Yeah. So like my son is listening to some rap stuff that I like, Oh my God. And I have conversations with him about it, good. but I will not censor that for yeah, him. Good. And I said, you know, look, you can read whatever book you want and you can, you know, listen to whatever music you want. Now I'm sure if it went way too overboard, I would probably 
you know, have to draw a line well, at some point. But but it, but it sounds like you could have a discussion about it if you felt it was really out of bounds. Yeah, yeah but, that's cool. But I think that it provides a sense of autonomy for them, and they they I think they really appreciate it. So. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, Dad. All right. Sorry about that. So thanks for listening, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. And as always, if you could take a minute to give us a rating, to write us a review, it makes a world of difference in Apple's uh, rating algorithms. So we get listened to, exposed to more people based on the number of ratings and the the quality of the ratings that we get. So please uh, help us out there if you would. All right. And make sure you stay tuned for our bonus track. Hey Groovers, this is Kurt with your bonus track and groove idea for the week. Yana took us down a path very familiar to Tim and me with a discussion about incentives. We have both worked extensively with sales and non-sales incentives in corporations around the world, and we found Yana's research to be spot on with our own research and with the best published papers on incentives. Here's a quick summary of the key points we discussed. First, incentives work if they are done right. Companies can and should use them to increase motivation and performance of their employees, but there are a couple of things to keep in mind before you go rolling out an incentive plan. And that leads to the second key issue she shared. To have a proper incentive, Yana talked about two important things, schemes and means. In other words, an incentive must be designed with a good scheme, or as we talk about it, good rules. The scheme outlines how to participate in the incentive and what you have to do if you want to earn a reward. Good rules appeal to the largest part of the population you're trying to influence, and they need to be easy to understand and to measure, and they need to be communicated effectively. The second part is the means or the reward itself. There needs to be a reward associated with the rules that is right-sized for the amount of effort it will take to earn it, and it needs to have a proper fit within the culture of the organization. Offering a free trip to Hawaii to someone who just shows up to work on time every day this week, probably out of whack with that. So is offering a $10 gift card for a salesperson who has increased their business by a million dollars this past year. Rewards matter a lot, and Yana got us thinking about the best way to use them. The third thing Yana talked about was how non-monetary rewards can be so effective because of three key dimensions. First, non-monetary rewards are tangible, and we get to experience them in the real world. Money, on the other hand, isn't really real. It sits in a bank and we use it as a transaction to get the real things. Second, rewards are social and they signal to friends, family, and colleagues that the recipient of the reward is a winner. Third, a non-monetary reward reflects back on our self-identity. For instance, a reward that is a trip to a luxurious beach resort uh, reinforces an identity as a successful person. All three of these together make the non-monetary rewards very effective at motivating behavior. Okay, here's your groove idea for the week. Take a moment to think about the most impactful incentive or recognition that you have ever received. All right, take that moment. What was it? Now think about the three reasons why you found it impactful for you. And if you can, write those down. 
We would love to hear about those. So let us know what happens. We'd love to hear what you thought about. Reach out to us on Twitter, email, LinkedIn, any other social media way that you can connect with us. And we would very much appreciate you sharing your thoughts about our podcast in the form of a review or a five-star rating. Apple and other services use the number of good reviews in their algorithm to decide which podcast to present to people when they're browsing. We'd like to spread the word and we hope you can help us. So until the next time, take care and thank you.